0: Hello and welcome back to Suburb School from home. This is going to be a good one, I can tell, because all four of us are here. I'm Lachlan, and I'm looking forward to a good conversation.
1: I'm Cameron. And I'm Luke.
2: <laughs> and I've completely forgotten the order, so I'm jumping in.
1: Yeah, I'm Cameron, and I'm pleased to be here
3: too. Yeah, g'day, I'm Ken.
2: <laughs> I think the order is partly thrown
0: by the fact that back when we used to regularly do this with all four of us, um, I might have gone at the end, but this is the way it is, Um We're looking through Psalms, and in the last couple of episodes, we've already commented on how uh, pleasant it is to be back sort of where we started, and in this episode, we're right back to where we started, because we're all here, and we're opening to Psalms, and we're going to discuss a psalm. And the theme that we've got to tackle is the Lord reigns, God's sovereignty, God's authority. Um, These are some fairly big ideas, so we've decided to turn to a very small psalm. So we're going to have a look at Psalm 100. So why don't we turn to it and have a read?
1: Okay, it won't take long. I might take this one. Uh, make, a joyful, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations.
0: Mm. That's it, the five verses. So with four presenters and five verses, um, let's see how quickly we reach the hour and a half mark on this episode.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I expect it'll take us about an hour and a half, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's right.
1: Um, good. Um, uh, let's start with the sort of pre-recording discussion we we almost embarked on, and I uh, suggested we keep it for the recording. The whole metaphor of God reigning is slightly foreign to us culturally, and it's difficult to imagine um, what I, 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 uh, uh, I was going to say. Literal? How do you? It's not a literal translation. Uh, um, a m- m- metaphor that employs modern ideas, which communicates the same thing. Is that? I was going to say a literal translation into our culture, but that's a bit of a complicated way of thinking about metaphors. But, you know, we're sceptical of authority. Um, And the dominant narrative, um, at least in Australia, is of keeping the powerful under control. Mm. The dominant narrative at the moment in the United States is very much about um, how much power and control the, the powerful should have and what level of accountability they should have. And um, I guess if you are in some parts of the world there are still sovereigns with very much absolute power. I'm not sure if those sovereigns are universally respected but I do not know if sovereigns ever have been universally respected. Mm. Feared, perhaps.
3: But in any, event, uh, in any event, this psalm isn't about God's monarchy or his government um in a direct way it doesn't raise any of those issues other than to refer to his courts but sorry i interrupted you luke
2: oh no I was, I was you're quite right ken it's it's just it's interesting to me that we use this language continue to use this language this language has been used for a very long time when it's maybe not the best language because god does not resemble in any way uh our ideas of 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 a king yeah well um, maybe,
1: maybe there's a sense in which you know he represents the ideal in the same way that God's described as a father, but thankfully he is a better father than most father than all but, fathers. but then you put it
2: around the other way, cam and you ask, well, why do we think kings are like God?
1: Well, kings, most kings
2: are nothing like God,
1: kings think they're like God, Luke, and they write the history <laughs> books
2: well, maybe, maybe that's where the idea came from, yeah,
0: um. There's a sense in which, uh, so just being overly literal for a moment, there's a sense in which kings make laws. And there's, there's an obvious sense in which God seems to be interested in laws, at least for lots of religious traditions and for lots of human history. That has seemed to be one of the things. But is, that, is it possible that that's reading the metaphor yeah. backwards? Is it possible that we have been so obsessed with God's law making entirely because we see earthly kings doing it?
1: Well, yes, I don't know about the king. The, the concept of a king ruling um, has so many nuances, like you said, Locke, There's the lawmaking, and there's, but of course, um, you know, I saw an interview recently with David Mitchell, who's written a book about the uh, kings of England, and um, he said to judge the the you know Tudor kings of England by modern standards is is totally out of place because they were not attempting to do the things that governments... In fact, governments generally, 500 years ago, weren't attempting to do the things that governments are trying to do now. They were not interested in social equality. They are not interested in roads or education or health. Mm. Or Their mm. job very much largely was to um, make trouble with other countries. That's more or less what seemed... they. they, when, they <laughs> when you took on the job as king or when you took on... You know, the parliament's job was to cause you know, trouble with the Spanish or the French or whatever, and to win. And mm. um, so, you know, in many sense, what we think of as a government, the, the job description is quite different.
3: To... I come back to the point. Uh, where, why are we talking about this ah. other than the fact that the lesson, that the lesson <laughs> indicates that this is the title? Because none of this has its foundation in Psalm 100. It doesn't talk about his lawmaking or anything like that. Uh, anyway, that was just my- well. My
1: suggestion, Ken, is that maybe Psalm one hundred gives us an alternative vocabulary.
3: Ah, okay, good. So now, now I'm on board. Yeah, because
1: I can
2: plan that from the start. Oh, of course,
1: <laughs> <I did. laughs> but it is it is a, a different set of images and metaphors, and they are ones that I'm more comfortable with.
3: So can I ask this question then? This is the one that jumps out at me mm. and one I would love to uh, translate, for want of a better word, into our time and place yeah. and culture. Um, uh, he, We are his people and the flock he tends mm. or the sheep of his pasture. What, 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 Modern metaphor for this would be used. Now, I'm not saying that even in a modern context, the metaphor of looking after sheep is uh, an inappropriate one. Sheep Hmm. farmers have a lot of insight into us as people. I remember going with one of my uh, good friends who owns a, uh, uh, or his parents-in-law owned a sheep farm uh, in Gippsland, Um, and one sabbath afternoon going for a walk around the farm and there was a sheep stuck in a fence Um, and we went up to help the sheep that was stuck in the fence Um, and it started writhing and struggling and uh, what we were going to do was release it from the fence Uh, it was just making that job 500 times more difficult with all of its movement Um, uh, and and i thought oh boy now, there's a pretty good metaphor for how we relate to God sometimes. <laughs> but, but what would be something that we could, uh, what would be a modern day?
1: Uh, well, we
3: activity we, of tending that we could refer we, to. We
1: tend to think um, can um, uh, the sheep the shepherd looking after the sheep as a almost as if they're pets, and they were mm. very much like pets. But they were were of course the shepherd's income as well. Mm. Mm. Um, so. You could say, what happens if you said, um, we're his people, uh, we are the companies in which he has chosen to invest.
3: Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting concept. I
2: I, I was going to say, I think the shepherd metaphor still holds in modern times. If people have any sort of understanding or connection or experience with, with farming and and rural communities, it's completely useless for city people. (laughs) Um, and, uh. That, um, uh, the, the, the companies in investing,
3: yeah, that's not bad. Um, it might be like your pet. Um, uh, th- there are people who, uh, we've got good friends who own dogs. Um, uh, my some of my children own cats. Uh, they love them and care for them and tend to them and uh, buy their toys and their their food, and change their water, and clean it, and, um, you know, I mean, I don't know, is that a, is, is that some modern metaphor? Mm. Is there something that's not even animal related, though? Uh, something else, I, I, the investing in the company is one, but now I sort of feel like, okay, we've suggested that, we've gone down that path, mm. uh, I like and we it. sort of... We've brought our our thinking to that path, and I'd like to open it back up again. Where else could it be?
1: Before we open it up, the reason why I like the share metaphor, which I've never contemplated until today, is that there is a suggestion that... um, What am I trying to say? We usually think of the shepherd looking after the sheep as purely a service that the Mm. shepherd is giving to the sheep. But in point of fact, the shepherd has relied or gets something back from the sheep as well. It is, in fact, although a very unequal relationship, it is a relationship that benefits the shepherd. And mm. Mm. and God you know, the idea of saying God well, I'm gonna invest in these people. Um I'm gonna invest time and resource and and um I know it's very money based and I think it's very inadequate, but all the metaphors are inadequate. I think it's got some nice dimensions. But mm. yes, Ken, it would be good to see what else I mean, uh I'm trying to think what can I, what do can I, tend? I say the
3: fact that it's the fact that it's money based, uh actually makes it speak to our culture Mm, in in a way that it it, it otherwise might not because our culture is very money-driven.
1: I remember my Uncle David turning up to visit us once in his EH, um, Holden, which he was very proud of um, and which no one in his family liked except for him, but he was very devoted to it. And he pulled up and our house was at the end of a long gravel road growing up, and when he pulled up outside the house, he carefully went over the car to look for any chips in the paint. And he, when he found a chip in the paint, he opened the boot where he had a small vial of the authentic paint <laughs> and a little paintbrush and pulled it out and painted it up so it wouldn't rust the body. So maybe we're, we're God's collective uh, collector's vintage car.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. I mean, that's that's an interesting that's analogy. Yeah, yeah. And... and uh, uh I bet your Uncle David wishes he still had that E. H. Yeah. Um, I bet he does. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. I,
2: I was gonna say perhaps where the charitable causes that he chooses to donate to.
3: Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Does he does he send us um uh, does he keep sending us um marketing material in the mail? No, we keep um, sending it to him. We send <laughs> it to him. <laughs> Maybe that's what prayer is. Okay, that's that's our prayer. That's our (laughs) marketing material. Please give us this.
1: (laughs) Uh, But realistically, realistically, actually, there is some good similarities. God um, opens himself up to all sorts of sort of emotional manipulations. I'm thinking of Moses there in the desert saying to God, God, you can't do this. You can't destroy Mm. these people. What will people say? Think about your reputation. Um, this is not the sort of person you are you're a good you're a good god you're gracious and you are kind um, surely this is yeah you know, that that reminds me a little bit perhaps of the sort of because um, the premise of all the marketing you get from aid companies is that they are appealing to you as a good person mm-hmm. um, mm. so maybe there's some legitimate sense uh I've just looking at this um, Uh, and notice that there is some structure to it. So in my translation, it's got four stanzas, as it were, four, they're not couplets, they're triplets. Um, But they follow a pattern. So the first and the third go together. They are injunctions to us to praise God. They're things for us to do. So the psalm opens with, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness, come to his presence with singing. And then uh, in verse four, which is, paradoxically the third grouping of verses um, it says enter his gates with thanksgiving his courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name so that seems to me not the same words but a repetition of the same sentiment um, and yeah. the second and the fourth uh, are descriptions of what it is about God that means he is deserving of our praise know that the Lord he is God it's he who made us we're his we're his people the sheep of his pasture and then the final stanza is uh, for the Lord is good His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations.
0: I've been looking at this since we started recording, trying to work out whether there is any useful, clever pattern to be identified here. The Lord is good and the Lord is God, of course, are the same thing in English, differing by one extra O. And so the way that it's rendered in an English translation has an an extra degree of, of elegance there, just just shapes on the page. <laughs> but actually there's a more there's a more important point to make which which relates back to what we've just been discussing. When you read in verse 3, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And in to some extent I've been listening carefully to some extent the contemporary metaphors we've attempted to identify all fall into the same trap as that phrase in verse 3. They make it sound as if there are others that are not God's people. What? But if you read it following on from verse 1, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. This psalm is an injunction to all creation. And and verse 3 acknowledges that. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. I don't think, this is my personal hypothesis here, I don't think verse 3 is describing a... Especially chosen elite remnant. I think it's reaching for metaphors that apply to all well, humanity.
1: This is, of course, one of the oddities of the Jewish faith, oddities compared with contemporary religions, you know, in thousands of years ago, is that their religious text doesn't start with them as a people. It starts with God creating mm. the, the whole world, and mm. God doesn't single them out as being particularly special, in fact, imparts his image on all humankind. And, you know, you have this sort of universal covenant that's made with all humankind at the time of Noah, which we, we talked about in our season on covenants, which turns mm-hmm. up again in the New Testament church when they're trying to work out what non-Jewish believers should have to do. And, but So there is a sense in which, and there's Melchizedek, and there's, you know, these mm. sort of glimpses of God working outside his people. So I think the, the point you made, Locke, is really important. The other the other point is it went one step further from where I was going to go. We, we started this season by saying that the Psalms are perhaps, at least many of them, are designed to be read collectively. It's we, us. Mm. And some of our metaphors, I guess saying that we are the shares that God invests in could be very collective. We are the collector's car sounds a bit singular. Um, you know, but... The emphasis very much here is, is not just moving from collective, as in single singular to collective. It's moving from our group to the whole earth. It's super collective. Mm. Um, mm. What about joyful noises? Do we tolerate joyful noises in church? Only if they're very quiet. <laughs> Suitably subdued, amen. Now, we full disclosure, um, this is a point of some contention within the Adventist church at Launceston at the moment. There was an incident where a child threw a ball in, inside the sanctuary hmm. and um, the child was remonstrated for this, for being irreverent, whereupon the closest adult who happened to be the worship leader piped up and said that she'd given the child the ball with the expectation it would be thrown. So <laughs> um, <laughs> there was some disagreement and and... When I mentioned this to a friend, I've probably said this on the podcast, but when I mentioned this to a friend, I said, you know, there's people in our church who are very concerned about reverence. My friend said, well, what what on earth does that have to do about reverence? You can throw a ball reverently. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: Look, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't disagree with that. I I like the shout for joy to the Lord all the earth and come before him with joyful songs. Uh, But this... This idea of um, yeah, this idea of what constitutes reverence is a, uh, one that seems to everybody has a different view about it. Yeah. And whatever they think about it is their uh, definition of reverence.
1: Mm-hmm. At my um, e. church, where I went for a, a while, there was a couple that came who were Messianic Jews, and they would come and worship with the Adventist community. And um, she would bring a tambourine and just join in. Mm.
2: Well, it's, it's not just that reverence means different things to different people. It means different things to the same person at different times. Cameron oh, and I talked la- last week um, about how, at certain times, lamentations are a, a form of reverence and worship. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're really feeling, uh, one of the most reverent things you can do is to be honest with God, and it's pointless to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you are feeling, when you are feeling grateful and joyful, then mm. reverence means something very different to when you are feeling despondent.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Luke, because when we very first read this at the start of this episode, I, I didn't, but I was going to make some comment about, well, this is clearly not one of those times when the, the psalmist was, was feeling a bit down in the dumps. You know, I mean, this, this psalm is very clearly... It's um, It's upbeat upbeat and that's that i'm not criticizing at all but we do need to remind ourselves that this is not this is not instruction for all time you know when it says shout with joy to the lord i don't think it's an instruction to say no matter what at all times make sure you are always shouting for joy to the lord i think it's saying at this moment i'm overflowing with with joy and and an upbeat enthusiasm for things Um, and we know that this is true because there are other psalms (laughs) yeah
1: exactly Um, a there's book. a there's a book that Adrian Plus wrote, which is, um, you know, his satire is it's very good, and it, it manages to make us laugh at ourselves without being too cynical. And this is perhaps one of his slightly more cynical works, but it's a, it's a handbook on how to survive in church, um, and succeed. <laughs>
3: Look, looking good, being bad. It's
1: called looking good, being bad. Um, and it's all about how to survive as a churchman or churchwoman if you have no real faith and your one object is to ingratiate yourself with the community and, you know, appear successful. And an and anecdote is told in this about, you know, how sometimes modern technology can help. And some church members invented a, a gadget for raising and lowering his hands. So <laughs> it has, has a little system of hydraulics and it means he can nod off t- to sleep in church and... Um, <laughs> His hands go up and down at, at intervals, and um, so yeah. So the but then it malfunctions, and his arms are going up and down, <laughs> and he, he yeah. calls out, he calls out, um, "Oh God, I just can't stop it! Oh God, I just can't stop it!" <laughs> and uh, fortunately, it's it's received by the rest of the um, congregation as a new manifestation of the spirit and uh, mm. <laughs> it's incorporated into part of the service but uh, yeah there you wouldn't want this joyful noise to be um wrung out of people um you mm. know there's the no well yeah there's George Farmer's affair if you pro-
2: tried firstly it wouldn't be joyful and yeah. secondly it it wouldn't be worship because mm. it would yeah. be a lie
3: on the other hand and and all of that's important and and it's but we do need to also make room uh, uh, for this yes. genuine positive Thanksgiving uh, it's it's easy and I have a terrible tendency to do it to sit back and look for the look for the other side yeah. um, and and to say well look I mean oh but we you know, yes we've got this psalm of joy but you know we need to be able yeah. to lament yeah. as well um, Can I'm uh, the but, same? but yes true true but but let's let's give room for people to have the joy when they have it. I'm, I'm um. the same. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I'm the same, Ken. I suspect everyone on this podcast is a little inclined to be <laughs> contrary. But there's, of course, the, the I'm verse... not. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is, of course, the verse where Jesus looks at the uh, is it the Pharisees and said, you know, you like the children in the marketplace. You know, we we played a married song and you wouldn't dance, so we played a funeral yeah. song and you wouldn't cry. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know. There's a sense in which we have to embrace all... And it's not just our own individual experience, it's the collective experience. Um, You know, there is something uplifting about celebrating with the community, but there's something very nurturing and supportive about mourning with the community. Um, There is a sense in which this collective nature of this psalm is is very much at its essence, um, and the psalms in general. I'm just looking at the structure of the psalm again, and it's got the four blocks, but each of the four blocks... Is actually just a single thought repeated three times. Yes, it's it's
2: um, it's it's three. Uh, well, it's it's it's, the, it's it's kind of three phases. The first one is about um, worshiping God. Yeah. The second one is about God, who God is, and who we are. Yeah. And then the third one is is about worshiping God, and then the fourth one, which is verse five, is is about who God is.
1: Yeah. And and then within each of those. So the first one is make a joyful noise to the Lord. And then it says Mm. serve the Lord with gladness. Well, that sounds a bit like come to his presence with singing. Well, that sounds like a joyful noise too. So it's sort of like Mm. here's an idea. And I'm reminded of the advice that I think I picked up from Norm Young, but I've used it whenever I've taught students how to write essays. And I point out to them that the whole point of an essay is is as a statement of a position and you're sort of trying to at least make people empathise with your position but possibly even convince them. And one of the oldest tricks in the books is just to repeat. And so in the introduction you tell everyone what you're about to tell them and then you tell them and then in the conclusion you tell them what you've just told them. Hmm. Um,
3: There's a little bit of that here. Yeah, well, that's um, what I... Yeah, it but
1: seems but, to but be, in a
2: very good way. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the, the language, yeah. Is, is it's different. It's It's variations on a theme and it does alternate, you know. Praise God because God is good. Praise God because God is good. That's the pattern. Yeah. Mm. And it repeats it, twice.
3: It, and again, I I fall into the trap. I was attracted by the story that was told of the preacher who stood up and said to the congregation, as some preachers want to do, um, uh, you know, God is good. All the, And the congregation responds all the time. And the preacher says all the time. And the congregation responds, God is good. Um, uh, one of these refrains. And... Uh, the preacher stood up and uh, uh, said that refrain, and the congregation uh, responded as it was expected to. And one of the members got up from the who just experienced a tragedy, uh, got up and walked out and said, "It not today, not. not." Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you've got to be sensitive to that. Um, but of course, and that's the genuine experience of that congregation member. Um, yeah. uh, but. I think still at the end of the day, uh, this is our uh, position that notwithstanding the disasters and the tragedy uh, and the terror that exists in the world, that uh, uh, God is good. Um, And I like the rendering uh, in this literal translation by Robert Alter, whatever the meaning of literal really is, but the particular way that he's rendered the Hebrew into the English on those last three lines. And it, they're not grammatically complete sentences, um, but they have a real lovely poetry to them. I'll see if I can say it in a way that brings it out. For the Lord is good, forever his kindness, and for all generations his faithfulness. Hmm. I, I like that, the forever and the for-all generations are being mm. uh, emphasised. So this is mm. always the case. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and and the things that always exist with him are his kindness and his faithfulness. Mm. Uh, and, and they are the things that make him good.
1: Yeah. And while there may be many instances where his... Um, Character; those aspects of his character do not appear to be expressed in the world around us and in our lives. Um, we accept we accept this as um, the paradigm in which our sorrows reside. Oh. Um, mm. And Luke and I talked about this last week. But the alternative to being upset about the problem of pain is uh, accepting it, like. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know so unless you have some paradigm of god's goodness and you know it, i've noticed that many most of the people i've spoken to um who complain about the problem of pain in academic terms uh, terms are not in fact suicidal mm-hmm. so they they still think that life is better than the alternative
2: mm-hmm.
0: well it's it's very interesting if you know following this thought and and the the stanzas or sections that we've identified here um the second one and the fourth one are very similar, but not the same. The second one acknowledge that the Lord is God, He made us, and we are His people. That doesn't necessarily imply goodness at all. It only implies power. That that what I mean by that is that that is speaking mm. to the power of God. God could be God who needs to be acknowledged, and He could be Creator who made us, and He could be Owner of us, and yet not be nice. It would be possible. It's, it's possible there is to a comprehend. Bad there are bad shepherds. Yeah. No. Yeah. But the end of this psalm says something different. It says, God is good, loving, and faithful. Mm. So, it says
3: something further.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not, mm. not in contrast, but, but on a different axis. In, in addition and, to. Yeah. 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 And so, the, the, I think this is a super valuable comment to make given that the, the reason we turned to this psalm was, was because of a, a desire to loosely track with a with a theme titled The Lord Reigns. Um, it We've commented on this before, but I think it's a helpful reminder just because the Lord Reigns doesn't actually make that a good thing necessarily. The reason it's a good thing is because of how this psalm ends. It's because the Lord who reigns is also good, loving and faithful.
1: Yeah, in which case all the conflicts and doubts we started with the podcast are a bit irrelevant because... The passages that describe God as a ruler, and the the writers of the Psalms, were either themselves very flawed rulers, or were very fluent with flawed. There hmm. weren't many kings of Israel that you no. know <laughs> did right all the time. So, so yes. And um, and even
3: the other Psalms that that are, are that are laments, if you like, or that are are um complaints, uh, they still assume God's goodness. Mm. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Because they call on him yeah. to act consistently with that view yeah. Of, yeah. of his character, which is
2: exactly as your church member was doing. Ken, in his in his sorrow, mm. he was saying, "I I want God to be better than this," which is exactly what the the lamentations of the of the Psalms do. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, point on which to end. Uh, that God reigns, um, I mean, there's a separate discussion, does he? Um, when, we're, when we're encouraged to pray, may your will be done, that suggests there's a very real possibility that his will won't be done. Uh, otherwise, why are we encouraged to ask that it should be? And there's mm. the separate parallel question of, you know, the church as God's body, you know, the man who complains to God and says, why don't you do something about all this pain and suffering on the world? And God turns around and says, well, why don't you Um, uh, which is actually a really pertinent criticism of me and any person I've ever had a discussion with the problem of pain about, um, you know, we, we are so largely indifferent to it, mm. um, which is awful. Um, so, you know, the way in which God reigns is a separate question, but the, that topic would be a topic of fear um, and a topic of that would generate huge amounts of angst if it were not for the fact that we believe in God's goodness and that. God's goodness is expressed, and you know when when um, there's the there's the story um, Ben Hur, the book Ben Hur is even better than the film, mm. um, and the paradox within Ben Hur is there's characters following this Christ figure, wondering whether or not his kingdom is going to be a political force, a military force, or a spiritual one, and the sort of moment of great revelation for Ben Hur occurs when he is looking at Jesus dying on the cross, and the thief turns to him and says, uh, "Can you remember me when you come into your kingdom?" And Ben Hur suddenly sees that the kingdom of God is a thing that is being established by this appalling circumstance. Um, mm. But but it, 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 he captures the image of what Christ means in that moment. That you know, Christ is their ruling, and that he is recognised as the ruler. He is. In charge of the situation, but he's just voluntarily, you know, the thief on the cross recognizes him and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's, that is ascribing to Christ the position of being in charge. Mm. So maybe the way in which God reigns is really hard to see at times, but we see in the crucifixion event that even though it was so incomprehensible for the people there and trying to come to terms with it, it was nonetheless definitely a God. Um, that embodied goodness and, and graciousness and love.
3: Well, maybe I can finish with that rendering of the closing verse. For the Lord is good, forever his kindness, and for all generations his faithfulness.